everybody, get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the first Foodie and the Beast of 2023. Yay! Hope everyone had a restful, warm, and cozy long holiday week. Um, We really did. I mean, we didn't take 100% of our time off, but things were less hectic, and we were able to really enjoy ourselves and, like, taken the true bounty of everything happening in the city. Um, Things we did that you should totally do too. Um, If you haven't been to the new Contemporary Museum, uh, the Rubel, it's fabulous, amazing artwork, and really just a great experience. And it's right around the corner from the wharf. So then my advice afterwards is to head over to Moon Rabbit, which we did, and had uh, we had an early dinner, but you can go there for brunch, lunch, or dinner. Kevin Tien and Susanna Bay are just rocking out an amazing Vietnamese menu. Um, also some advice, stop at the new Yellow in Georgetown. Mike Rafiti has launched his Levantine Cafe now in Georgetown. It's gorgeous. It's delicious. Pick up all the goodies, especially the Zatar-encrusted croissant that is filled with Lebna. Mm, God, it's so good. Take them all in a little bag, walk down to the Crescent Trail, and then head out to Fletcher's Cove, and you can just do a little picnic there. It's a great, great day. Um, Lardente. If you haven't been, you need to go. It is amazing upscale dining Italian. Good luck getting a reservation, but you should try to get one. Uh, new Caruso's has now opened at Pike and Rose. It is out in my neck of the field. Matt Adler and the team from NRG are rocking out. Total and complete uh, red sauce Italian, like the kind you expect to get in New York City. And it is excellent. And then lastly, Bar Sparrow has opened, actually right next door to Lardente. Johnny Sparrow, you know, does his tweezer-ish food. Some of it is really excellent, and the space is very cool. So that's just a glimmer of all the fun ways you can enjoy yourself in town. Of course, you want to follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for the moment um, to keep up on every new hotspot. Uh, drink for dry January, if that's what you're doing, because um, there's also other drinks. Uh, all the menus for RIMW's Restaurant Week, which is coming up, you all want to see that on the list, areyouonit.com. Now, you may be asking yourself, where is David? Andy is like, yes, where is David? Where is he? Well, David is doing a cross-country trip with our daughter, Tess, to the University of Arizona, So no worries. I'm not taking over completely. He will be back next week. But boy, is he missing an amazing show. So New Year, what is new? So we all know that incorporating more vegan and vegetarian dishes into our daily diets helps our personal health. And if you're the one doing the cooking, it helps your family's health as well. But cutting out use of animal proteins in our daily diets isn't just good for our health. It's also good for the environment. So later in the show, I'm so excited, I'm going to chat with Marianne Maharaj. She is a clinical associate professor of fiction and literature at the University of Illinois at Chicago, but she has recently published the first vegan Sri Lankan American cookbook. And I'm so excited to talk to her because she thinks that Americans don't like spicy food, and I'm here to tell her she's wrong. So I cannot wait to talk about her book, and she sent me all these delicious treats, so we're going to get into it. 
Now, I have been on a personal journey. I've become a big believer in raising my vibration and sharing it. And honestly, for a long time, I felt like I had to tamp myself down. I just thought I was too much for people. I could sense it. But that is not how one gets success. And nor should I tamp myself down, right? So I'm so excited that I met and looking forward to chatting with with, uh, J.J. G. Uh, D. Geronimo. She is a two-time award-winning author. She helps women raise their frequencies and empower their future impact. She is a podcaster. She is an author. And I cannot wait to hear how she uses astrology to help women. So again, new year, new you, what's new? This is. And then lastly, the world is recognizing the future of algae for humans. Um, It's not just fish food anymore. Um, And it can really hold the key to food scarcity, which many of you who listen to the show know is a huge issue of mine. So I'm so excited today to talk to David Hunter of Bluegenics. They have already harnessed a form of algae for us humans to ingest um, in the form of supplements and other products. And I cannot wait to hear more about how we're going to bring algae into our lives, because I think, again, we all know what that We don't know what it can do for us as humans, but we do know what it can do for the environment. So I cannot wait to have that conversation. And if you've been living under a rock, um, we'll get out from under it because Casa Cantuta is the first Bolivian cocktail bar in the nation. It has opened in Adams Morgan. Uh, I talked with the team, Carla Sanchez and Juan Sanchez, siblings, um, and Lou Bernard, that is his brand name, before when they were doing pop-ups around town, but now they are open for good. So I'm so excited to have them in studio. Thank you all for joining me today. So Casa Cantuta, Carla, let's start with you and your brother, Carlos. Let's talk about how you guys came up with the idea. Uh, Sure. So this started in 2021. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, that was the launch of Casa Cantuta, but the idea came to my head in 2020 during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just kept, kept thinking like there's not a Bolivian... Uh, cocktail bar there's not a proper Bolivian restaurant in the city I know which that. is amazing right? right given the massive amounts of types of cuisines available in the city that Bolivian was not one of them right so um there's a large uh community of Bolivians in Virginia mm-hmm. and there's a few restaurants actually that are mom and pop owned uh, but I remember just going there with my parents and thinking our culture is so rich it's so rich and like it has so many layers of um you know stories to tell and I was like I wonder why it hasn't arrived to the city. And I just kept thinking about it during the pandemic. And I was like, how can I make this happen? How can I make this happen? Like, I really feel like Bolivia is so colorful. Uh, I feel like we have so many, you know, so many things to just kind of share with the community and our culture. So I was like, how can I make this happen? So I was like, a bar would be perfect. Um, so then I just got in, you know, I told the story to a few friends. I kind of shared the concept with a few. Well, and for those who don't know, you're you're in the food industry. You're a fashion influencer. You are you have a lot of uh, you have a lot of fingers and a lot of pots. Yeah. So and the, cocktails now, too. Right. Yeah. So I started a blog about 15 years ago. It was a style blog and then it evolved into a lifestyle blog. So mm-hmm. over the over the few, I, mean, I want to say 10 years, I've been visiting, you know, places like bars, you know, restaurants, Because well, you still have to dress up in a bar, right? Yeah. You got to look good. Yeah. So I feel like in a way I was kind of doing research without knowing I was eventually going to open a bar. Okay. Uh, so, so how'd you, just quickly, how'd you bring your brother in on it? Yeah. So um, when I came out with the idea, I had the concept in my head and then I 
you know, my brother is more like in the business side, but he's mm-hmm. also very much creative. So I kind of, I was looking for a partner and I was like, who can I talk to about about this business idea I have? And I, I knew I wanted to partner with someone that understood my the culture, who understood my vision. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait a minute, the perfect person is my brother. Like he's literally super smart. He has more of a business background and he grew up in Bolivia. He's an immigrant like myself. So mm-hmm. I was like, bro, do you want to do this together? Okay, I'm going to have to cut you off. Yeah. <laughs> Carlos, when we come back next time, you're going to tell me how you got in on it. One. Uh, oh, one. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I said no, no. that before. Yes, my apologies. <laughs> Carla, right. Okay, one. my apologies. So um, I want to know how you got in on it, but right now I want to get a drink. So, Lou, what are you making me? Right now we're going to start with uh, our version of a sour. We call it Amargo. Okay. Uh, it's, um, it's a Singani sour, but with a little bit of tweaks here and there. What does that mean? Well, you know, our our, our, our Inca brothers, next-door neighbors, are very popular with the Pisco Sour from Peru. Mm-hmm. Um, we I did our own version of a Pisco Sour, but not Pisco, Singani, since Singani is our, our national spirit. Okay. And that's what Cantuta represents. Uh, but I'm using a couple other things besides just lemon and simple syrup, which is a regular uh, a regular Pisco Sour. I'm using a, a special mango pineapple syrup, uh, a little bit of Angostura bitters, uh, aguafava instead of egg white. Sure. Um, uh, just chickpeas. Keep, chickpeas. Chickpeas liqueur keep it, keep for people a little who healthy. don't know. Yeah, just uh-huh. in case anyone with the, oh, I'm a vegan, I don't eat, you know, so we make it safe. But, uh, yeah, so we call it Amargo, which is the word translated for sour. Excellent. Um, yeah. Great. All right, while you get to making that, we're going to get into some vegan. It's a good segue. Except you sort of said vegan, like, oh, vegan. We got to change the way people think about vegan, right, Marianne? That would be great. Hi, Marianne. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. It's exciting. So you're a fascinating individual. I want to understand how you went from being uh, at, you know, the university and you've written all these other books, not cookbooks. So how did you make this transition or what made you think, yeah, I want to do a Sri Lankan cookbook and then actually go vegan and do a vegan cookbook? So it's actually the second Sri Lankan cookbook. The first one, Feastum Serendib, is mm-hmm. not vegan. Um, and that one came out of really two things. Um, I had cancer. I, mm-hmm. I'm fine now. Thank God. But uh, when I was diagnosed, I had this amazing moment of panic um, because my children, my husband's white, my children are mixed race, the closest Sri Lankan restaurant to, um, I live in Chicagoland, so... The closest Sri Lankan restaurant is eight hours away in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really worried that they would not have access to the food if I wasn't around. So I started the summer afterwards when I was done with treatment, um, I started kind of obsessively researching. And I think this is where the professor bit comes in mm-hmm. um, because I spent a lot of time looking at cookbooks, watching YouTube videos, um, calling my relatives and talking to them, um, Sri Lankan friends in the diaspora, mm-hmm. and uh, tried to put together a comprehensive cookbook. And then the vegan version, honestly, is mostly because of my ex-girlfriend. Um, so, okay. uh so, because she um, is vegetarian, very close to vegan, and back when we used to date 20 plus years ago, mm-hmm. 30 years ago, um, it was really hard back then to go out to restaurants and find food she could eat. And obviously, well, but I mean, 30 years, I was going to say, 30 years ago, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. if you were a vegetarian or vegan, you'd either get mm-hmm. like a plate of pasta and steamed veggies or a salad. I mean, chefs yeah. today, restaurateurs today, you know, there's a whole... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's a whole change out there about 
how we eat. So yeah. any restaurant I mean, it's, it's you go to today has vegan, right? Yeah, yeah. totally yeah. different. Agreed. But but it, it just, it made me so sad back then. I think, you know, like I come from a culture of feeders. We like, we the way we show our love is by making you lots of food. Right. <laughs> and so, um, and I, I like when I have a dinner party, I want to make sure that everyone there can eat well, mm -hmm. right? And so, um, and it, it was also, I think for her, it, she, she finds it distressing, right? To like look at a cookbook that has lots of photos of meat in it. Mm. Um, so I wanted, I wanted to create a vegan cookbook that she could just enjoy with joy and love and deliciousness. Well, um, listen, I want to talk about the book and I want to talk about Sri Lankan cuisine, um, but we have to take a break. When we come back, let's get into Sri Lankan cuisine, what people can expect. Let's talk about where what its roots are and, and how you mm -hmm. went about curating all the recipes. This is Nikki Nellis. David Nellis is MIA, but he will be back. Uh, Foodie and the Beast, we'll be back in a sec. So last time Nick and I were in Georgetown, we just wanted to get some food and chill out a little, and we went to Tony and Joe's Seafood Place on the Georgetown waterfront, uh, and I, we had a great meal. I, we had oysters. I don't remember what else we had. Well, the most fantastic thing about Tony and Joe's is, honestly, its location. It is right there on the water. You're looking at the Kennedy Center, and you're looking at the water, and there's all those boats going by, so you have great people watching. And that's whether you're dining outdoors on their amazing patio or dining indoors with their floor-to-ceiling windows. Um, of course, they have amazing seafood, like the oysters, usually local, um, but great lobster, great fish. And, uh, they have great steaks there, too. Yes, and they have steaks, too. It's just a great place to go for great drinks and great food with a view. I love their line. They say, come for the food, stay for the view, and that's what you should do. Tony and Joe's. Woo, I love that noise. We're back. I'm Foodie and the Beast. New year, what's new, 2023, and I am talking to Mary Ann Mahamraj. She has written Vegan, vegan Serendip. Uh, it is a Sri Lankan cookbook, um, and it's this one is vegan. She has written another one, but I want to talk a little bit about Sri Lankan cuisine. Um, it has mm -hmm. so many influences. Talk to us a little bit about it. Yeah, well, you know, Sri Lanka is an island near the coast of India, mm -hmm. and it's... Mm. Um, so when you think of what the cuisine is like, the simplest thing I might say is that it's sort of like a cross between Indian and Thai. Um, but there's we were colonized by the British, the Dutch, the Portuguese. There were Chinese laborers that mm -hmm. came and worked, were brought to work in Sri Lanka. And so over 2000 years, the food has been inflected by all of these different elements. So like one of one of my favorite appetizers we call Chinese rolls, which are you know, they look like an egg roll, but they're filled with curry, they're wrapped in a crepe, then they're dipped in egg and breadcrumbs and deep fried. And I'm still trying to figure out a good way to make a vegan version of that. Right. Um, but, but it's, I'd love to. And it's, and so that's the kind of thing where it's not like, it's really not like any singular thing you'd find anywhere else. It's mm -hmm. this melding, this um, hybrid. So, and, yeah. but a lot of, so like when I think of Indian cuisine, a lot of it is naturally vegetarian and vegan just because yeah. of uh, religious constraints and how people eat in that country. So I assume it wasn't hard to find the recipes that were vegan. Yeah, no, it, you know, something like 70%, I want to say of Sri Lanka is Buddhist. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of them are vegetarians. Uh, mm -hmm. And so you have you have just many, many years of it. And, you know, dairy is not a big part of 
how we cook it we would normally use coconut milk anyway mm -hmm. so that's that's another easy step towards I mean I veganism. just want to tell you that dairy is the only reason why I cannot go vegan because if I don't get my cheese like I have a problem so just so you know yeah <laughs> I'm not I'm not vegan myself mm -hmm. right so but although I'm, I'm actually doing a little challenge for myself of 30 days of vegan vegan January cool um, and veganuary and it's called veganuary 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 <laughs> it's yes. a thing <laughs> and I never I never want to feel deprived right mm -hmm. so for me I'm like every meal has to be delicious it has to be luscious it has to you know have some bite and taste and um so I never want to feel like I'm missing something and and it, it actually turns out to be really easy to do well, so give us an example of what those dishes are. And I, I mentioned at the beginning of the show, spicy, right? Mm -hmm. I think that there are people who do not like spicy food, but there, I feel like there is a misnomer out there that Americans don't like spicy food or maybe white people. Well, okay. Like, white people well, don't I'm like spicy too. food. Do you know what I mean? And that is yeah. true, but I mean, I love spice, but there is a, a limit to how much I can handle. Do you know what I mean? Where it blows my right. head off. Well, so keep in mind, I live in the Midwest. Yes. So spice is not as popular here as it is in uh, other mm. parts of America, perhaps, right? So, um, but I would say that what's nice about Sri Lankan food, you know, if you go there, if you walk into a restaurant, if you order food, it probably will come out spicy, mm -hmm. right? That's kind of the default. The We're at the equator, the chili peppers grow hot right. and people get used to that and, Spice is addictive. It sets off little things in your brain that make you happy and you want more, even though you're in pain. Like you're right? sweating. So, right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, but it's, it's totally, you just gradated. So my sister is not a, one of my sisters is not a huge fan of spicy food. She uses less cayenne in the recipes. Mm -hmm. You can make them completely without the cayenne. You can skip that. Um, it's not essential to the, to the experience of the cuisine. Um, I did visit my aunt in Sri Lanka and she made food so hot that I couldn't eat it. Okay. So even, even I have my limits. Um, well, let's so. talk about, so you sent me a selection of some of the things that are in the book. I'm sort of curious about Sri Lankan milk rice. Tell me about it. Milk rice is an essential component of any holiday celebration. It's um, primarily from the Sinhalese community um, and all you do is you you make your rice, you cook it most of the way, mm -hmm. and then you open up the pot and you dump in an entire can of coconut milk, Yum. and then you cook it for another 10 minutes, and it just gets rich. It becomes, um, when you, you take it and you spread it on a, on a plate, and then you cut it usually into little celebratory diamonds of rice, and you can um, pick them up, and they, they're, they're just delicious, and you have that with even just like a little spicy coconut sambal mm -hmm. and it's very satisfying. I could eat that for breakfast every day. I mean, it sounds, um, I mean, I have some, it is delicious, <laughs> but it's you making it sound even more delicious. But now some of the things you sent me were sweets, like the marshmallows and um, these beautiful, I mean, what are they? What am I looking okay. at? Well, that's, that's a little experiment of mine. So okay, they're so pretty. traditional Sri Lankan, but it incorporates dragon fruit. So they're little mm -hmm. dragon fruit um, chocolates that are white chocolate, dragon fruit powder, uh, citric acid, which is nice for giving that tang mm -hmm. and a little white white pepper, because I like I like things to bounce a little bit. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, to, no, I like I a like little kick. To bite back. Yeah, totally <laughs> so. with you. Um, and what else? So for people who are just dipping their toes in, into Sri Lankan food. Um, let's, even though it is 
vegan, but mm-hmm. just let's talk about some of the dishes you would recommend people make um, as a way to, you know, like what they already have in their pantry or what they need in their pantry mm-hmm. to have access. Because if you don't know, you know, you don't know until you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, I think you could start with what I started with when I was a college student and calling up my mom and saying like, I can't eat this food. Please tell me something I can make over the phone. Right. right. So she uh, told me how to make potato curry, which like deviled potatoes. And that's super simple. Chop up some onions, saute them, cumin seed, mustard seed. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the base for most of our things. Mm-hmm. And then you toss in some potatoes. And um, honestly, my mom uses ketchup. And people are always sort of surprised by that because I'm they're... surprised. Right. But it's, you know, it was an adaptation she made when she came here as an immigrant in the early 70s mm-hmm. because she couldn't get coconut milk. So she was using regular cow's milk, mm-hmm. which isn't as sweet. And ketchup. Well, and also the is texture is totally different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But like, but in a curry, right? Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, it'll, it doesn't lend the sweetness she wanted. And she found that ketchup is tomatoes, salt, sugar, vinegar, right? Just cooked down. Right. So it became a, a really convenient shortcut to kind of let her get closer to the flavors she was looking for. And it's delicious. Um, so yeah, so that's, you use ketchup, a little bit of cayenne or a lot of cayenne if you're going to really devil the potatoes. Right. Um, and some, and of course some salt. And you just cook it down. And that with rice is perfection. And if you want something You know, if you want to add some protein into it, you can always throw in some cashews. You can make something with lentils. Um, It's really easy to turn it into a full meal. Well, I cannot wait to dig in even more. Um, Marianne, tell us, please, vegan serendip, which I said Mm -hmm. to you earlier, like serendipity. And you said that's where it comes from, right? Yeah, there was a story by Sir Horace Walpole about three princes of Serendib who mm-hmm. are foolish princes who go find something wonderful that they weren't looking for. And that's where we get the word serendipity. Oh, so, what, what a great story. Yeah. All right. <laughs> where can we find you on Instagram? Where can we find the book? Tell us more. Um, I think if you look for Serendib, it'll come up pretty quick. Or my okay. last name, Mohanraj, M-O-H-A-N-R-A-J. Mm-hmm. Uh, the book's available on Amazon. Any bookstore or library would be happy to get it for you. Mm-hmm. I encourage you to ask them to do so. Great. Um, or you can buy it directly from me okay. um, at uh, serendibshop.com. Excellent. Marianne, thanks for your time this morning. And thanks for sending me thanks. all these goodies. I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. It was really fun. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Okay. Casa Cantuta. We're going back to you guys. All right. So you guys had a pop-up, and now you uh, don't. I mean, now you have a brick and mortar. So how did that, tell me, Juan, how did that come to be? Yeah, so um, we had two successful pop-ups, mm-hmm. and um, we were really looking for a space to call home. So the original pop-up that we had in Adams Morgan, um, the bottom the basement uh, mm-hmm. the floor uh, we got a call from the owner of spacey cloud uh-huh. and she uh, what is spacey cloud i feel like an idiot how do i not know what a, it is it's a it's a vegan restaurant uh slash a skateboarding shop that uh, empowers women in the, in the skateboarding community oh my god i need um, to have them in they sound amazing yeah so yes. very great lady um mm-hmm. so yeah so she um you know, we partnered up with her, mm-hmm. and she is hosting us on the basement level for for an extended time. Mm-hmm. And so now we're there, and it's where we began, so it's uh, perfect. Oh, it's like Kismet, right? Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. So, so now, how would you guys go about decorating the space? Because I know that that's a huge component 
to what you're doing. Yeah, so it was very important for us to have the decorations um, to be authentic from Bolivia. Mm -hmm. So my sister traveled all the way to Bolivia, mm -hmm. and we kind of FaceTimed, and she went out and bought all the decorations that we have there. Mm -hmm. And me, Lou, and my sister, and my wife as well, were on a group chat, and we were choosing like what's going to go on the wall, what's going to suit the place that authentic Bolivian feel when people come and they can feel at home, away from home. Great. Well, I want to talk a little bit more about it because some of that stuff is for sale, right? It's not just on the walls. Like, are there things to, like you guys do a marketplace too, right? So, well, yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, <clears throat> we're going to start. We we also, we had a little market called Mercadito and we highlight small business owners. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to bring that back again in January to celebrate a las citas, which is, um, a celebration that we do in La Paz, Bolivia, and it's basically to celebrate abundance in a way. We kind of, um, we we celebrate the Keko, and the Keko is the god of abundance in Bolivia, and what they do in that market, specifically in La Paz, is they sell miniature things. Like, if you want to travel, you can buy a little passport. Mm -hmm. If you want to, like, open a business, you can buy a certificate that's, like, for a business, and you attach it to the god of abundance. Like on his clothes. Well, I feel like talking about abundance is perfect for when I bring in JJ Geronimo. Yeah. But quickly, Lou, what are you making me? Uh, now I'm going to make you uh, an amazing, uh, very cultured drink called Pachamama. Mm -hmm. uh, Pachamama is actually a goddess, uh, a goddess in the in the Inca in the Inca uh, community back in those days. It's a goddess of Earth. Uh, mm -hmm. That's how we say thanks to Earth uh, back home. Um, and uh, she was part of the indigenous community in, uh, in, our, uh, in the Andes of, uh, of the Inca mythology. Great. All right, uh, Lou, I'm going to let you make that drink. Yeah. And then you'll tell us about it when we bring you back. Definitely. Uh, and we're going to take a quick break. Yes? This is David. And oh, no, David. It's just Nikki. <laughs> <laughs> Nikki Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. And we're back on Foodie and the Beast. And when we finished talking uh, about uh, Casa Cantuta, we were told about abundance, which I think is just the perfect segue to uh, uh, JJ Geronimo, uh, who uh, I met earlier, uh, or well, later in uh, 2022. Uh, she is an award-winning author. She has multiple podcasts. She is on a journey and she is taking people with her. And I am signed up because I'm very excited about what she's doing. Hey, JJ, thanks so much for joining me this morning. Hi, Nikki. What a great segment. Uh, thank you. All right. So let's talk a little bit about you and how you sort of became this best-selling author and did these podcasts and sort of the new, uh, the new things that you're integrating into your life to be your current mm. success. Yeah, that's great. Well, I'm sure all of us at some capacity have worked for businesses and we've done some kind of self-assessment, whether we've either done it ourselves or done it through companies. And, you know, I was at a point in my life where I just needed more data. I needed to figure out more about myself and I needed some help with where I should align my time and my energy. And so I started a personal mission when I was 40 to just do more energy practices, spend more time in nature and really learn more about ancient practices, mm -hmm. uh, which really aligns to right, what we're talking, we're talking about. about. Yeah, it's just such a great alignment. And so through that, I learned birth charts and I did human design and I did numerology. And I was really just trying to get to like the, the intersection of where I had already been and what I wanted to do for like the next half of my life. Mm -hmm. But how did astrology play in that? Because 
I feel like in the last couple of years, there's been a real shift uh, in, the, especially in sort of the female workforce, um, maybe a little bit in the male workforce, but maybe social media has really helped sort of further this message. Um, I think if you looked back 10 years ago, a lot of the stuff that you and I are talking about was like too woo woo. And people are like, where are you coming? You know, pe- people were easily put off by this sort of notion that you can integrate all these things and be healthy and successful with them. So how do you how do you t- talk about that with people? Yeah, you know, I do still think there's people that'll think it's crazy or they don't want to do it. But there's a percentage of society that realizes that most of corporate American business is slanted to the masculine energy. Mm-hmm. And it really requires women to check half their knowing at the door. But yet we go into business trying to be 110%, but we're only using half our toolkit. And I think for many of us, we're starting to recognize maybe it was the pandemic, maybe it was kind of the alignment of planets, but that's not working anymore. Right. And we need to really kind of hone into what we came down here with and what we're supposed to do while we're here. And for mm-hmm. me, astrology and birth charts gave me a level of insight and confidence that I didn't get through the Myers-Briggs 360 reviews, strength finders, but I did use those tools in addition to some of the ancient wisdom that's available to us if we seek it out Mm -hmm. to combine sort of my information and knowing so that I can be a better participant on the planet. Well, so let's talk about, because in your book, Seeking, there's, um, it's an amazing book and it it takes you through a lot of questions, right? Like you really have to get, you have to get deep with yourself. You have to be really honest. And I think that's hard. I think it's hard to answer, even if the, you know, even if the question is as simple as like, what are your goals? It's so scary to put that down on paper. So how do you walk women through that or people? Yeah. So I use a lot of stories about myself and other women and kind of glimpses that you've had earlier in life, situations, lessons you may have learned or are part of right now that many of those lessons come through the relationships that we're in. Mm-hmm. And the book is really teed up to just explore. Let me just see what I'm thinking. Let me see how these questions inspire me to look at my life in a new way, which then ultimately makes you look at your choices, the level of energy you have, and the relationships you enter into. And mm-hmm. for me, I had to really dig deep inside to change the outside. Sure. Well, and where does, how does astrology into that? How do you work with somebody with their birth chart or their, how do you work with them and how, or how does somebody use that? How do they make that work? Yeah. And the reason I learned it, I learned it most of the last four years is because I gained such great insight on myself. And Mm -hmm. so your birth chart is the alignment of the planets when you are born. Right. And it gives you great insight to sort of some of your life's work, but also some of the challenges you may have. And, you know, I've done several birth charts for business women and men uh, just to give them some insight and knowing. And many times they laugh, they get a little uncomfortable. Then they say, gosh, you know, that gives me more confidence in Mm. the path that I'm on because you're already on your path. But oftentimes our natural talents and gifts, we play them down or don't really think that they're that special because we think everyone has those. And for me, the birth chart gave me more insight and wisdom to stuff I was already doing, but it also gave me more confidence. And I think women lack confidence when they want to step out in new ways, or they want to step more into kind of what is drawing them. And I think for many of us, we just need a little bit more confidence to make a huge difference. Well, 
I agree with you, but my question is, is that so not only are you, do you use astrology in this is who you are, this is this this is why the things affect you the way they do, but then do we look it, into the future with astrology? Do we say, you know, today this is what's happening with the planets and this is how you're feeling, you know, like your daily horoscope kind of thing? Are we still doing that kind of stuff? I mean, you definitely can. Mm -hmm. I find that the way I use it is really more about like your makeup and, and why and what you're doing here, which a lot of that comes through your birth chart. You can definitely follow it through on a weekly or monthly or daily basis mm -hmm. to really get into what's happening right now and how that should affect you. But for me, I really use it as a tool to sort of dig deep into the why and the how, mm -hmm. and not necessarily worry about every single day. I mean, you could do that. There's so many wonderful astrologers. But for me, I'm really just trying to get more women at more tables. And for me and all the work I've done with women in events and conferences is most women are hesitating. They're sitting on the edge thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And I think what it does, it says, yes, this is why you're here. This is the work you're supposed to be doing. And it gives them that little bit more momentum to just step in. Well, do you find a lot of value in sharing stories of success? Do you think pointing out other people's maybe failures that, that then created success, like using sort of repetitive stories, sort of help people see that, that they too can do it? Well, the feedback I've gotten on Seeking, which is my third book and mm -hmm. probably the one I've been most vulnerable in, is that people feel like when they see us where we are now, they often don't understand all the steps it took to get there. Mm -hmm. So getting that insight gives them reassurance that it's possible for them to create whatever they have a desire to walk into, to step into, to evolve or even enhance. And mm -hmm. I think for many of us, it's easy to see the last step. And but really, the best steps are in the middle. Yes. And I, I agree with you. But putting in the work is hard. You know, I think it's really easy for people to be like, OK, this is my birth chart. I'm a Taurus, yada, yada, yada. Um, so I'm like this. Therefore, I don't have to do the work to get the things I want. Do you know what I mean? Like wishing for it isn't going to make it happen. And I think for some people, they're stymied by the steps. So how do you guide them through that process? Yeah. So that's the, so I only mentioned three sentences about birth charts in the book seeking mm -hmm. it's 52 chapters. There's three page to five, you know, page chapters. And it's really very specific steps to help you better understand who you are and the work you're supposed to be doing here. Mm -hmm. And I include 74 key findings that came forward over the last six, seven years for me that I now read on a regular basis to just keep me inspired. And many have said like the book is like going through it with a best friend where you're just kind of talking through the process where it doesn't seem overwhelming because it's just little bite-sized like insights, tasks, questions that get you kind of thinking in a new way so that you can gain the momentum you need to illuminate your path. I agree. I love the way the chapters are broken up because I felt like I didn't have to sit down and read it like a novel. Do you know what I mean? Or a self-help book. I felt like I could read it and take chunks when I when I was ready and when I needed it. Do you know what I mean? So I found it really engaged. Um, JJ, you're going to be on my other show, Industry Night. We're going to do a much deeper dive on that. Um, I would love you to tell everybody where they can find your podcasts, where they can find the book, and where we can find you. Oh, thank you. So JJ DiGeronimo is the easiest way to find me mm -hmm. in my community together. We seek dot online has many different energy practices and retreats and insights that help women really kind of get more aligned to where they're going.
Great. Um, do you want to give me your Instagram? Sure. JJ DiGeronimo. Excellent. Thanks, JJ. Thanks so much for joining us today. Good to see you. Thank you. Okay. Back to Bolivian drinks. What did you make me, Lou? It's gorgeous. Uh, so that's the Pachamama. Uh-huh. Um, uh, so what's pa- in it? What's in it? I can give you. It is obviously Singani mm-hmm. uh, being our major spirit. It has a, a little bit of cognac. Uh, it has Luxardo Abano uh, Amaro, which is an amazing earth uh, Amaro. It has uh, Chinar, which is an artichoke liqueur. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit of homemade uh, cinnamon bar syrup, lemon. And we continue to be healthy with a little bit of aguafaba to give it that texture and uh, the little bit of uh, uh, helps with the look on top. Can you talk a little bit about this indigenous uh, yes. spirit? Because, you know, so, <laughs> you mentioned it twice now, but I don't know if people know what it tastes like. So, so Pachamama is, 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 uh, is a goddess, I say, as I was saying earlier, uh, in the, in, uh, from the Andes. Uh, in the Inca mythology, she is said of uh, Earth Mother or Mother Earth, as, as you want to call it. Um, type goddess, and she f- fertilized uh, goddess who preserve over the planting and harvesting, uh, embodies the mountains and creates uh, earthquakes uh, uh, when she gets upset. So that's why uh, the culture that we grew up with, uh, our ancestors, at least my grandparents or my grandparents, uh, every time it's a gathering, every time we do a, a grill, cooking, or hanging out, mm-hmm. uh, we always give thanks to Mother Earth, which is the Pachamama by uh, either... Um, I just like the name. Yeah. Pachamama. Yeah. It sounds amazing. By dropping a little bit of our singani or any sort of typical uh, uh, drink, a little bit on like the ground, which back home is really dirt everywhere else. (laughs) Uh, And that's why the drink tastes a little bit of that earthy, being using everything, all the ingredients uh, there is all earth drinks uh, or earth grow drinks like product. Uh, it has peach. I think it's delicious. It has peach mm-hmm. cognac, so it has a little bit of that peach flavor, uh, along with the, all the rest of the earthy uh, ingredients there. So Great. because of the name, of course. Thank you, thank you so much. What are you making me next? Uh, next, I am going to give you a little bit of a fun cocktail. It's still traditional. It's called Bolivar, uh, which is a representation of one of our biggest uh, soccer clubs in uh, in Bolivia. Oh, right in La Paz. on time. Uh, being the World Cup just finished, uh, and obviously our Bolivia. We, we love soccer. We are very fans, so Great. that's what I'm making. Okay, I'm going to let you make that. And now I'm going to get into algae. Or should I take a break and then get into algae? Okay, I'm going to take a break. This is Nikki Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. We're going to talk about algae and what it's going to be like for you in your future. We'll be back in just a sec. Welcome back to Foodie and the Beast with Nikki Nellis. Uh, David Nellis will be back. He's just gone this week. He'll be back. Maybe I'll take a break for a change. Uh it's been such an exciting show. We're really talking about near you, new year, uh, new you, or uh, what's new. And actually, this part I'm very excited about. Um, we keep talking on this show for the last 14 years, just the change in the landscape of how we eat, right? Whether it's uh, how farms grow, big ag, um, uh, vegan. I mean, we've hit we've hit a bunch of those topics today. But I'm really fascinated in our next guest, David Hunter. He is with Bluegenics, and they are harnessing a form of algae, and it's for human consumption. Uh, and I'm very curious about that and what that means and how it's going to affect our lives going forward. So, David, thanks so much for bo- uh, joining us today. I've given you yeah, I've, there's a gauntlet thrown here. You're going to fix everything, right? <laughs> We're trying. We're trying. Okay, so For let's sure. hear it. How'd you get into algae? I got into algae accidentally. Um, 
I was in sales and marketing. I had a bottled water business where mm-hmm. I was um, marketing Alaskan glacier water mm. and um, became pretty successful company. And I got um, called in to help a, a shellfish farmer um, market and sell phytoplankton for his shellfish. Okay. And what is, what in- is phytoplankton? Phytoplankton is the original food in the ocean. So when the, um, it's called the invisible forest mm-hmm. and it's the most abundant plant on earth. And a lot of people don't know what it is. And when the sun penetrates the surface of the ocean across the world, um, there's an immaculate conception of plant life that is born between the combination of the seawater and the sunlight. Mm-hmm. And inside those plants is the original form of light food and nutrition. So for an example, the original source of vitamin C is green. It's not orange. It's from phytoplankton, selenium, potassium, magnesium, omega-3s. The original source is vegan and it's the plant life that's within phytoplankton. Okay. And um, so you brought this, so you, you got involved because of this seafood, uh, uh, shellfish person. And, but what was it that you were like, oh, we can do so much more here? Um, well, my coworker, as a joke, um, who was a diabetic, started to eat the phytoplankton, and he what was, was a type its, one diabetic. What's and two its weeks form? Later, his blood sugar was completely normal. What's its form and though? What is it? Is it like a bowl? Like how was he eating it? It was a paste. Oh, so, interesting. Um, the real quick thing is, is what he was doing is that he in a tank we would bring. We were on the coast of uh, Vancouver Island. Mm-hmm. And we would bring in ocean water into a tank, and then we would replicate um, a blooming cycle of the phytoplankton. So it would bloom a lot in the tank, and then you would drain the tank with a cheesecloth on the bottom. Mm-hmm. And then there was a paste there, and we would take the paste and we would feed it to the shellfish. Hmm. But he was, instead of throwing the paste into the shellfish, he started to eat it. And his uh, blood sugar um, went completely normal and talked about how good he was feeling. And um, I ended up taking it. Um, and I, I had a life-changing recovery with uh, migraine headaches, a candida rash, and um, chronic fatigue. Wow. And, um, yeah, like life-changing. And I was a severe case of migraine headaches. Okay. Um, so um, when this happened and all that, so we started to give it to other people. They were telling us the same thing. Mm-hmm. You put two and two together, it's the origin of all nutrition. Right. Um, you know, go are a lot of people sick just because they're malnourished? Mm. And um, so we, I believe that, I believe that the root cause of probably a lot of suffering that's in the world is, is just malnourishment, whether, I mean, we're talking about food here. I mean, we know that if you have the standard American, North American diet, I mean, it's not nutritious. No, access access to healthy food. I mean, we're the richest country in the world and there's more food waste that that I can't even get into the numbers on, but the food (laughs) weight, a lot of the food waste is not nutritious healthy food a lot of the food waste is just junk food of course and then you know you throw in uh, depleted soil and Mm -hmm. fertilizer and gmo seeds you throw all that stuff into the mix and then Mm -hmm. it you know compound it just compounds over compounds right Right. so uh you know the mass market is walking around completely malnourished and they're sick and you know they uh go to their doctor and they take a medication and then they need a medication for the other medication and then they're sick and they don't know why. And, you know, I think we, I know I'm preaching to the choir here about diet and exercise. But so, but phytoplankton, you call it Karen 
phytoplankton? Like, yeah. because is it because she's like a Karen, like a screamer and a yeller? Um, but you say that no. this is a health and wellness regimen. So are you suggesting people take this paste? What is what what are you doing with it and how are we incorporating it into our diets? Okay, so to give you some context, this event that I just talked about happened in 2005. Okay. Um, there was no historical. So I did, I decided around 2006 that this was going to be my life journey that mm -hmm. I was going to put everything into this. And, um, because I saw the healings that took place. So we had about, um, a 10 year regulatory snafu because there was no historical data of anybody ever eating marine phytoplankton. Of course, when you get into the government matrix of the thing, I mean, the paperwork and the the trials and the safety data that need to be done was uh, way more than we anticipated, but we did it anyway. It took us 10 years. Wow. Um, so when we finally got it approved, um, I actually, the whole Karen thing is I named it after my mom, mm -hmm. who um, whose name was Karen Hunter. She was the head nurse of Maple Ridge Hospital outside mm -hmm. of Vancouver. And um, the, of course, um, you know, uh, the, the the meme came out a few years later, which of course was just, you know, you can, it, it's kind of like one of those things is you can plan for everything. And I wanted to, of course, give homage to her for the mm -hmm. discovery instead of using the Latin name. And uh, that came David, out, I yeah, want to so, direct you because we have a little time left. I want to talk about yeah. how we're going to use algae, how we'll use it in our systems and what it does as a potential solution for food scarcity. Okay, well, Basically, we're providing pure nutrition, like literally a pure source of nutrition now for mm -hmm. the Canadian populace, and it's coming in, it's in America now, and it's just starting. Um, so not only can we grow it as a supplement, um, we can grow it as a food, which we can use for culinary, because it does have kind of like a seafood taste. Mm -hmm. um, but the other thing that I'm kind of excited about is um, we're also finding out that it can recondition soil for agriculture. So we can, uh, phytoplankton can also be used as a fertilizer, a soil conditioner, Makes biopesticide. Sense. And it's just this plant, this foundational plant that is just having so many applications. Um, you know, we started as a supplement company, but now we're a phytoplankton company. And um, it's becoming a big deal. Like it's not... Um, it, it, like we went it's, from basically a basement underneath a restaurant to now, you know, 18 people and, and growing. And Okay, so and tell us, and I, I would love to talk to you further about this because I feel like there's a lot of levels to go through, but we only have so much time. Yeah, tell us, please, where we can find it and find more information uh, so that we can incorporate it into our diets. Yeah, so um, the KarenProject.com mm -hmm. is where you can get it in the United States. Um, you can buy it online. Um, the KarenProject.ca in Canada, um, of course. But yeah, the KarenProject.com is the website where people can buy the pure powder. They can buy it in capsules. Great. Um, Thank you, David. Shampoos, conditioners. Um, oh, oh my God. Lotions, potions. I'm here for it. David, thank you. Blue Gen <laughs> yeah, X. A little, little bit of everything, yeah. There's a lot of applications for it now. And it just, like I said, just started from a shellfish food. I love it. All right. Thank you, David. Thanks for your time this morning. All right. Casa Cantuta, you got a couple sacks. Uh, you tell me what you last made. And then, Juan, please tell us, like, where you are, what you're doing, what's happening, and how we can stay in touch with everybody. Social media. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Lou, what'd you make? Uh, 
That right now, it is, uh, I said, it's a little fun. It's still definitely a lot of tradition behind that. It looks like algae. <laughs> <laughs> true. Uh, a lot of tradition is still from that drink. It's called Bolivar. Uh, it was founded in, uh, well, Bolivar was the, the team of, uh, it's a very popular soccer team in, in La Paz, from La Paz, Bolivia. Uh, it was founded in 1925. It was honored uh, uh, because of the Venezuelan military leader, Simon Bolivar. Lou, I'm going to cut you off because I don't want you to just read from that. I want you to tell me when people come to you, what, the cocktails, these cocktails here are going to be there. And what are some of the other experiences people can expect? Oh, besides uh, besides our music, our food, our culture there, when you walked into the place, uh, yes, there's a lot behind every cocktail there. Uh, not only uh, Bolivia, because that's who we are. We are the first Bolivian cocktail bar in the nation, mm-hmm. but we also represent a little bit of South American in general. Great. Um, and uh, Juan, tell us, please, where we can find you all and how we stay in touch with you and some of the events and fun things that are coming up. Yeah, so um, we, uh, you can follow us uh, on Instagram at Casa Cantuta. Mm-hmm. We also have a Facebook page, and soon we'll have a YouTube page behind the scenes. We'll, we'll let everybody know how the drinks are created and um, we're open Tuesday through Sunday. Um, we have uh, drinks, obviously, um, and we also have salteñas on the weekends. Yum. Yep. Um, so, yeah, you can follow us. We have a lot of events coming up, and we're always going to be creating new drinks. Our uh, beverage director, Lou, very creative on uh, mm-hmm. all our drinks. So they each tell a story. So Okay. Well, I thank you guys so much for coming in this morning um, and making all these fantastic drinks. Um, if you haven't been to Casa Cantuta, now you have the opportunity. And I want to thank all my guests, uh, Carlos Sanchez, Lou Bernard, um, his stage name, uh, Juan Sanchez from Casa Cantuna, uh, Miriam Maharaj, uh, JJ DiGeronimo, and David Hunter for joining me today. And thank you for checking in. 2023 is shaping up already to be an amazing year. Um, and it's only going to get better. So be safe out there and have a delicious week. <laughs> <laughs>